us that we're still in a world pandemic and we have to be careful. How the Delta variant derailed their reopenings and the potential impact on Canada. Extreme heat warning. If the help is not there as folks need it, this could turn deadly. The health risks hitting vulnerable communities and why it's going to get worse. And student 702. Everyone had a number. That's all they called us by. How are they going to remember our names? How Safina Jones is reclaiming her name and the Haida identity stolen from her at residential school. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The oppressive and dangerous heat has arrived across the province and people are scrambling to find relief where they can. Kylie Stanton has more on the soaring temperatures which won't break for days. We got the fresh mango juice, the fresh guava juice, lemonade. It's going to take more than cold drinks and ice cream. We all got the same one to beat this heat. The heat we're having now is unprecedented. Record-breaking temperatures set to soar this weekend and hold well into next week. British Columbians are trying to keep their cool. Huge rush, you know, ACs were out. Fans are still in stock, at least for now. I would say by the end of the weekend, we'll probably be depleted right now. A bit of a different story at the Union Gospel Mission. We have sunscreen, we have hats here. And we have a reusable water bottle. Donations have been pouring in to help bring some relief to those experiencing homelessness. Packages will be handed out over the weekend to help address the need. We're talking about soaring temperatures that are unlivable. And you've got a situation uh, that if the help is not there as folks need it, this could turn deadly. The UGM's drop-in facility is open in the afternoons to provide some respite from the heat, adding to the 10 cooling centres that have also opened up across Vancouver. But not everyone is mobile, and there are some extremely vulnerable people at risk of suffering heat-related illness. As we age, we lose the ability to regulate our temperature as efficiently as when we're younger. So we're just asking people to be mindful of that. Uh, to check in on uh, their friends or relatives that are older to make sure they're doing okay. But in temperatures like this, there's a level of risk no matter what your age. Add lakes, rivers and the ocean into the mix and it's another layer that needs consideration. Just knowing the water you're going into is, is very important and taking some kind of rescue equipment, thinking ahead about those kinds of precautions as well. Prevention is the key. The temperatures are expected to dip late next week, but it will remain warmer than the seasonal average for the rest of the month. Let's go! Stanton, Global News. Now, as tempting as it is to go for a dip to keep cool, you're advised to stay out of the water in English Bay. Vancouver Coastal Health has issued a temporary closure due to high E. coli levels. That didn't seem to deter many people today. However, there didn't appear to be any signage warning people of the risk when we were there. Two other beaches are also closed. Snug Cove Beach on Bowen Island and Oasis Beach south of Wreck Beach. Contaminated water could cause gastrointestinal illness and skin rash. The extreme temperatures also prompting Mission School District to close schools to students on Monday for the entire district because of the heat and a lack of air conditioning in schools. Kasia Badurka joins us now with more on the record-breaking temperatures. Kasia, give us a timeline of what Mm -hmm. we can expect. 
Well, here we have it for you across the lower mainland. So oppressive, uh, uncomfortable heat through overnight hours, only going down to a low of 20. Usually 16 is uncomfortable already, so you're going to have your fans on full tilt. Uh, at 7 a.m., if you want to sneak out some you know, daytime hours, do something strenuous, uh, if you want to go for a jog or whatever, it's already going to be hot at 23 degrees at 7 a.m., with daytime highs ranging between 30 and 36 degrees for us across the lower mainland, 30 near the water. Extremely hot. Uh, uh, overnight lows for the rest of the province. These actually look like daytime highs that we typically see at this time of year. So again, very uncomfortable for most of us. You're lucky if you do have air conditioning through interior sections. Uh, the heat warning is in effect for much of the province, blanketing us in red. Apart from coastal sections, it's going to be 10 to 15 degrees above seasonal tomorrow and even hotter moving forward. Sophie. All right, we'll talk to you in a bit. Kasha, Kasha Bedorka joining us. Now to COVID-19 and new concerns about the Delta and Delta Plus variants. Israel and Australia, two countries seen as the success stories in the fight against the virus, are once again imposing restrictions in response to rapid outbreaks of the variants. As Richard Zussman reports, that raises questions about what might happen here. Israel was long seen as a global leader stopping COVID spread, early to vaccinate and early to ease restrictions. But a recent surge in the Delta variant means an Israel-wide indoor mask mandate now back. Canadian health officials are watching Delta closely here. But vaccination rates for one dose are significantly higher here than Israel and Australia, especially in young people. Although the Delta variant of concern has emerged as the latest hurdle, Canada has every opportunity to avoid a strong Delta wave by remaining vigilant to keep infection rates low as we build the vaccination barrier wall high. From data last week, 90% of all COVID cases in BC were variants, with 6% of those variants being Delta. But there are worries it will continue to grow. In Alberta, what we're seeing there is that the Delta is growing exponentially. It's doubling about every um, 14 days right now. Um, and they are at about a similar level of opening up as we are. As BC prepares to move to step three next week, the question is, could this derail the plan? Health Minister Adrian Dix points to BC's slow reopening as a reason for confidence, even against Delta. We have to complete the task of vac vaccination for the first and second doses this summer, and I think we can do this, and this will help us deal with that. The federal government releasing much-awaited information on Friday for those that are vaccinated and those that are partially or unvaccinated. For outdoor gatherings where you are in close contact with a lot of people, the guidance is for fully vaccinated people, you don't have to wear a mask. But if you're partially vaccinated or not vaccinated, the recommendation is to wear that mask. If you're indoors in close contact, the recommendation for fully vaccinated people is you could consider wearing a mask, but it's not necessary. If you're in that situation for partially or unvaccinated, the recommendation is to wear the mask. It tells us that we're still in a world pandemic and we have to be careful. And a continual reminder from health officials, although things are on the right track, BC's not in step three just yet. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, taking a look at the case numbers now. While the number of new cases remains low, there is some concerning news. We have 72 new cases now, bringing BC's total to 147,418, with almost 1,100 of those cases currently active. 108 people are in hospital, 37 in the ICU. Sadly, we've had two more deaths, and both were people who were in their 50s. 
Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the COVID-19 numbers. Keith, you just got the latest numbers of the Delta variant, uh, yeah. the Delta Plus variant, uh, if it is making any sort of headway into BC. What do we know about that? Yeah, the report just landed too late to get into Richard's story. A bit concerning. So the Delta variant, they estimate what uh, the share of the cases are for each variant of concern. Delta has gone from 3% two weeks ago, 6% last week. The most recent report, 12%. So it's doubled in size in terms of the estimation uh, in proportion to the other variants. Also, it's 16% in Fraser Health and 13% in Vancouver Coastal. And in terms of actual detection of cases, it's gone up 28% in one week. So a little, a little concerning that this is is a, a, a growth pattern we're seeing in other jurisdictions. It's estimated to be the, going to be the dominant variant in many places. It could very well be in BC. Thankfully, it hasn't led to more hospitalizations or ICUs or deaths, and that's that's a great thing. But keep an eye on that Delta number going forward. And as we know, the vaccines really help with mm -hmm. keeping those hospitalization numbers low. All right, let's talk about uh, the drop in case numbers that I mentioned. How is that affecting our rolling average? Yeah, so this is the good news part of my report tonight. So the, the daily number uh, has been dropping for some time, and particularly in June. It's quite dramatic. Take a look at this from the start of June, June 4th. For example, we were at over 200 cases on a daily uh, rolling average over seven days. That drops every week. So every week you see from 203 to 144 to 106. Today it comes in at just 74 cases is the average a day. It's been going down about 25 to 30 percent a week. So we could be below 50 cases uh, this time next week, next Friday. And again, dropping even further than that. But of course, keep an eye on that Delta uh, variant because it doubled in size in terms of its proportion to the other variants in just one week. All right, Keith. Uh, hopefully we'll see a, a downward trend, at least when it comes to hopefully. case numbers. Thanks. Regina's Indigenous community is still trying to process the discovery of an estimated 751 unmarked graves near a former Saskatchewan residential school. It comes as Canada Day is just around the corner, and some say we shouldn't be celebrating this year at all. Global's Joe Scarpelli reports. Erica Bowden is a Maryville residential school survivor. We've always known that there were graves. We've always known that there were atrocities that happened at the residential school. And now she, along with so many others, are no longer just sharing stories. Where people could maybe say, you know, this is really what the situation is, or, you know, they're just saying that to get money or whatever the case may be. There, you can't deny the physical evidence. An estimated 751 unmarked graves were found near the former residential school east of Regina not long after technology detected the remains of 215 children at a former BC residential school. And many expect more discoveries will be made. I will not be celebrating Canada Day. My family will not be celebrating Canada Day. Star Andreas doesn't think anyone should be celebrating. We're in mourning. Our people, my people, are in mourning for the children. There's nothing to celebrate in Canada. There's nothing. And in need of support. We have to find our children. We've got to bring them home. We've got to give them names. Now, what we as Indigenous people require are strong allies. And every Canadian has the opportunity to listen, to learn, to understand the history. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. When we were talking in our language, she caught us and she ripped three of these fingernails out of their sockets. 
A residential school survivor shares her trauma, her brave well, choice to speak out, and how she hopes by sharing her story, it will be an awakening for Canada. Mm. That's later on the news hour. And we want to remind anyone experiencing distress as a result of their residential school experience, you can access the National Indian Residential School Crisis Line at 1-866-925-4419. It's available 24 hours and is toll-free and confidential. Well, 13 months after the murder of George Floyd, the man who killed him has been sentenced. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin learned his fate today following powerful victim impact statements read out in court. The punishment and the reaction next on the NewsHour. Same caption, verdict. Low tide, good weather, and a pandemic. What DFO officers are reeling in on local beaches later. Also ahead, gas pain, more evidence. The days of pandemic pricing at the pump are definitely over. Right now, though, 13 months after the murder of George Floyd and the conviction of one of the officers involved, all eyes were on Minneapolis once again as former officer Derek Chauvin learned how long he will spend behind bars. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the details. It's the justice that so many have sought in a murder that sparked a global racial reckoning. The court commits you to the custody of the Commissioner of Corrections for a period of 270 months. That's 270. The searing tape of George Floyd's death led a jury to convict ex-Minneapolis cop Derek Chauvin in April. The state wanted a 30-year sentence, unheard of for an officer, and in a move that appeared unapologetic, the defense wanted time served. <laughs> to provide closure, yeah, I and I love you. statements were read out from family and community impacted by Floyd's death. The sudden murder of George has forever traumatized us. You may see us cry. But the full extent of our pain and trauma will never be seen with the naked eye. The sentence puts Derek Chauvin among a small roster of law enforcement personnel to face serious consequences. Only eight non-federal officers have ever been convicted and sentenced for on-duty incidents, but often to far less time than civilians. The whole world is watching today. The defense tried for a do-over, claiming jury and prosecutorial misconduct stood in the way of a fair trial, but the judge denied it. We need you to stand with this family. Outside the courtroom, a rally where supporters breathed a sigh of relief, celebrating not only Floyd's life, but the changes that came following his death. Now, for the Floyd family and activists around the country, there's a hope for a new precedent and another step forward in ending an injustice too many people of color have suffered. Derek Chauvin spoke very briefly before he was sentenced, offering condolences to the Floyd family, but showed no remorse. He now awaits a trial on a federal civil rights investigation. The trial for the three other officers involved will take place in March. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Minneapolis. Well, here at home, expect traffic to be snarled in parts of Vancouver as hundreds of people taking part in a Black Lives Matter rally are now marching from City Hall into the downtown core. Our Kristen Robinson is live with more on what's happening. Kristen? Sophie, the crowd of about 200 left City Hall just before 6 and is now making its way across the Camby Bridge into the downtown core. 
Now, Black Lives Matter Vancouver says this march is all about demanding justice and accountability and standing in solidarity against white supremacy. A powerful start to the event outside City Hall, organizers holding a long moment of silence to reflect recent events here and in the U.S., including nine minutes of silence for George Floyd and another long pause for the Kawasas First Nation after the discovery of an estimated 751 unmarked graves at the site of a former Saskatchewan residential school. Speakers referencing two questionable VPD handcuffing incidents involving racialized British Columbians while calling for change. To bridge the gap between all, all nations, all, all types of cultures. It's not just black people, it's not just native people that are suffering racism. There's all types of people suffering racism, but it's still very important to raise awareness of what's happening now. If you're just quiet about this stuff, it's going to keep on going on and going on, and it's just going to be the same problem for centuries. You know, we need to change that. We need to stand together. We need more allies, and um, we need, like, every person of color to come together to let it be known, you know? Indigenous lives matter, black lives matter, you know, stop Asia hate, everything. Now, as we mentioned, that crowd is still making its way across the Camby Bridge. The final destination tonight is Emery Barnes Park, where participants will gather for more speeches and performances. Now, Vancouver police say they are monitoring the event to ensure everyone's safety. Sophie? All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks for that. Kristen Robinson reporting live at Vancouver City Hall. The sentencing hearing for convicted killer Gabriel Klein has now wrapped up. Over two days, court heard dozens of victim impact statements, including from the parents of 13-year-old Letitia Reimer. On November 1st, 2016, Reimer was stabbed to death in a random attack inside Abbotsford Senior Secondary School. Her 14-year-old friend was also hurt in the attack. Klein was found guilty of second-degree murder of Reimer and aggravated assault of the teen who survived. A hearing determined that Klein, who has schizophrenia, was criminally responsible. Second-degree murder carries an automatic life sentence. The decision on Klein's parole eligibility will be delivered on July 7th. Coming up, a senior's home hit by thieves. It's devastating for a lot of people. What they stole that's left the residents stuck. Plus... VPD looking for help to identify members of an angry crowd at English Bay. At the Cambie Bridge, a protest is blocking northbound traffic coming off of Broadway. You'll have to use the Gravel Street Bridge in and out of downtown. Luckily, southbound Cambie Bridge is open as you head into the South Vancouver area. Want to be the ultimate content creator? Talk with expert photographers and filmmakers at Henry's Vancouver about the best-selling gear for streaming, podcasting, and creating content. Visit Henry's Vancouver today. In Global One above the Cambridge Bridge, I'm Amber Belzer. The Cullen Commission into Money Laundering in B.C. wrapped up testimony last month after more than 130 days and 200 witnesses. But as John Hua reports, it's about to resume because a key witness changed his mind and has decided to testify. Whether it's shady money being dumped onto the counter of a casino cash cage. And Mr. Alderson goes on to say that in the last four weeks, this player has had seven substantiated unusual financial transactions. Are concerns being raised directly to management at the BC Lottery Corporation? 
Mr. Alderson writes, there should be concern that BCLC and SP management will be accused of willful blindness. You see that? Yes. The Cullen Commission searched for answers on how BC casinos became laundromats for criminal cash, often referenced one name. I spoke to Mr. Alderson uh, early on in this process at considerable length, and Mr. Alderson was quite forthcoming on a number of issues. Commission counsel had attempted to get Ross Alderson to testify, but couldn't reach him. Now it seems BCLC's former director of anti-money laundering investigations and one of the original whistleblowers is ready to speak. Out of fairness to him and with a view to having the most complete body of evidence, we were and we remained interested to hear from him as, an, as a witness. At the beginning of the public inquiry, Alderson withdrew his application to be a participant and then moved to Australia. Despite the Cullen Commission already ending its evidentiary proceedings, an exception is being made for Alderson. Mr. Alderson should have the ability to give evidence and to uh, give his side or his account of uh, different things that we've been hearing about from other witnesses. Sources tell Global News Alderson watched the Cullen Commission testimony with frustration, believing the public wasn't getting the whole truth. I think certain statements made by Mr. Alderson um, are maybe overstated in here. While some witnesses have criticized Alderson's previous actions, others have given him credit for exposing the issue. He spoke on a, a wide number of issues and, and in many ways provided a lot of uh, a bit of a roadmap for us early on. Alderson resigned from BCLC in 2017, shortly after coming forward as a whistleblower that leaked corporate files to the media. An individual identified himself as um, releasing government and crown information to uh, a reporter. Um, and I understood later that individual to be Mr. Alderson. When will Alderson testify? Likely in the fall. The Cullen Commission says the due date of its final report remains unchanged. John Hua, Global News. Vancouver police are asking for public assistance to identify two men involved in a brawl at English Bay last weekend. The aftermath of the fight and the forceful takedown of one suspect was captured on video. Now, after reviewing the footage, police say they would like to identify two men they're describing as agitators who were inciting the crowd and who they alleged obstructed and assaulted officers. If you recognize either of these men, you were asked to call Vancouver police or Crime Stoppers. Well, after months stuck under virtual lockdown due to the pandemic, residents of a Burnaby retirement home were recently able to resume outings into the community. But now those are once again on hold, thanks to some heartless thieves. Catherine Urquhart reports. At Seton Villa in Burnaby, seniors have been shut in for the past 15 months. Residents were eagerly anticipating more freedom. 103-year-old Elsie can't wait to go for ice cream. If you go outside of Burnaby with a bus and go for ice cream and lunches and stuff. With pandemic restrictions easing, Elsie and others here had plans. Seton Villa's bus was about to hit the road. People were so excited. We made it out for four trips. And then we had our catalytic converter stolen from our bus. Surveillance cameras captured images of the thief at about 5.30 a.m. last Sunday. They can be seen arriving at the Trinity Street location empty-handed, and then, minutes later, leaving with the catalytic converter. Seton Villa residents are crushed. It is devastating for us. There is people here 
who haven't been out for months. Finally, we got the bus, and then they stole a part of it, and we have no rights. We can go anywhere again. Going to the local Safeway was on the to-do list for many of the seniors who depend on the bus. It means a great deal to me. It's a big part of our recreation, and uh, we—it's—it's it's a freedom to get out to do shopping and to go to the malls. Police are investigating the theft, and anyone with information should contact Burnaby RCMP. Meanwhile, a new catalytic converter is on order. Those much-planned trips again on hold. Hopefully, not for long. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, if you're driving anywhere these days, you'll notice the price at the pump has spiked. Gas prices jumped up overnight in Metro Vancouver, topping $1.70 a litre. That's the highest in North America. According to industry experts, it's a supply issue involving problems at a refinery in Washington state. Now, the highest ever gas price on the lower mainland was $1.72. That was back in 2019. Coming up, a stark reminder of COVID's devastating impact. His lungs were just totally destroyed beyond repair. When the virus nearly killed him, the extreme measures needed to save his life. Plus, to be able to um, have the world know that we are, we are still alive. The painful past of residential school and why she wants to share her memories. Some good news for the Lionsgate Bridge motorists. Uh, we did have a collision southbound mid-span on the bridge check, but they just towed the vehicles off the bridge. That's the good news. The bad news, because it's been down to a single file lane each way for a while, it's really busy for westbound on Marine. Coming into North Vancouver, you are backed up from Phillip Street, so do expect delays as we wait for a, a lane switch here. For Home to Auto Insurance, BCA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. In Global One, above the Lionsgate Bridge, I'm Amber Belzer. She was ripped from her home and had her language taken from her. Now a residential school survivor from Haida Gwaii is speaking out. Safina Jones is hoping to bring survivors together so healing can begin. A warning, what she has to say will be disturbing for some viewers. Erin MacArthur has her story. They were stopping and then they'd pick up a bunch of kids. And then um, some of them died on the way, and they just threw them off the train. Safina Jones was 11 when she was forced onto the train. Hundreds of terrified children heading to the Edmonton Residential School. Within these walls, her culture, her language, her sense of self systematically removed. When we were talking... In our language, she caught us, and she ripped three of these fingernails out. The 77-year-old matriarch never spoke her own language again. They slapped us in the head and said, nobody's going to believe you. And it took a long time for us to get this far. 
like the thousands of other children who were forced into the church-run, government-sanctioned institutions. Safina tells stories of constant abuse, mistreatment, malnourishment, and death. We weren't called humans. Everyone had a number. That's all they called us by. They, how were they going to remember our names? We all had our numbers sewn onto our, our clothing. The Alberta government is promising $8 million to aid in the search for more grave sites. Safina says they should simply ask the people who buried the bodies. Children paid to dig the graves of classmates. I had to wrap her in a gray blanket. And, uh, and I don't know if they send her home or if they buried her there. I, I never did find out. It took years for Safina to reclaim her culture. She still doesn't speak Haida, but fewer than a dozen people do. She's appeared in a film shot entirely in her language, struggling to learn the lines and pronounce the dialect. Now in Skidigat, a school dedicated to keeping Haida alive her great-grandchildren learning the language stolen from her. To be able to um, have the world know that we we are still alive. We are still alive. That was one of the best things in my heart. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, for the fourth time in just the past two months, doctors in Vancouver have performed a double lung transplant on a COVID-19 patient in B.C. Neetu Karcha has details on the latest patient's ordeal and how it's changed his family's perspective on vaccine hesitancy. He's a very healthy guy. As his brother fought for his, Darren Brown's life changed in an instant. The struggle to breathe and just how how badly the COVID had attacked his lungs. The Ontario man now living in Vancouver is a full-time caregiver for his younger sibling, Mark, who tested positive for COVID-19 in April and almost died a few months later. And the plan was to uh, put Mark on ECMO, which was kind of a, um, a heart-lung bypass machine to give his lungs a rest and give them a chance to heal. But after um, well over a month and a half, the lungs just were not healing. The otherwise healthy 48-year-old RCMP reservist is now recovering from a double lung transplant on Sunday, within 11 days of being added to the transplant list. He was uh, at the top of the list because of um, just how sick he was. We're taking a leap of faith to try to uh, perform lung transplants on these patients because really there's no other option. Vancouver General Hospital is the only place in the province where the procedure is performed by Dr. John Yee. He's done four in the last two months, more than any other hospital in the country. They were all previously healthy, uh, working, uh, had families um, and uh, with no other comorbidities. Um, and they range from uh, early 30s to mid-50s. He says the third wave has brought with it more severe cases than any other time in the pandemic, and there's little known about his patient's prognosis because of how new the disease is. All these lungs, they're, they're actually subject to a fairly intense pathological review, and ultimately later on, all these results will be collated and published. Until then, Darren hopes his brother's story will serve as a reminder to register to become an organ donor, to take the virus seriously, and to get vaccinated. We were very hesitant 
about getting the vaccine and we were going to take a wait and see approach and then Mark got sick and um, that just immediately changed our mind. Because he says it could be the difference between a more mild case of COVID-19 and this. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. Up next, reeling in rule breakers. We come out on most of the low tides. How COVID has helped drive an increase in illegal shellfish harvesting. And later in sports, Canada's women's soccer roster revealed who's in and who's out for Tokyo. The nice weather is drawing people to the water from right across the region, but fisheries officers say they're seeing a significant rise in the number of people illegally harvesting shellfish, many of them for the first time. As Paul Johnson reports, they've stepped up enforcement in Boundary Bay. Scanning the sand and tide pools of White Rock Beach. Out among the families and paddlers, there are poachers here and illegal shellfish traps. It's a really low tide today and uh, we come out on most of the low tides, uh, primarily to deal with people harvesting shellfish. They've spotted something at the water's edge. On closer inspection, it's exactly what they're looking for. A crab trap that's totally out of compliance. It's configured improperly and, no surprise here, no name and contact info. It's illegal because there's no way for anything trapped in here to get away. So what's happening is the season's extreme low tides combined with COVID boredom I mean there were more people out at our region's beaches foraging for seafood than ever. COVID has brought people out in droves, so way more this year uh, than any other year. DFO has shared with us some of the pictures of illegally harvested seafood they've confiscated. Well, Dungeness crab is a common species to be poached because of its value. Here are some traps recently seized by the Mounties. There's actually a serious health threat with the region's bivalves clams, oysters, and mussels. Pollution and natural toxins have made them off-limits for the past 50 years, from White Rock to Indian Arm, though they're still catching people digging for them all the time. Usually every patrol we get somebody, and, and on certain patrols we get multiple individuals. Less than 100 meters away, another discovery, what looks like an abandoned commercial crab trap, stuck in the sand, a hazard to swimmers and waders, not to mention sea life. They're ghost fishing. So they're still fishing, stuff goes in, can't get out. So if you're tempted to try and cook up a pot of chowder with our region's bounty, make sure you know the rules for crab and don't even bother with bivalves. You can make your family sick or end up owing thousands in fines when these folks track you down. In White Rock, Paul Johnson, Global News. Looks pretty beautiful out there. All right, Kasia Badurka is back with more on our hot weather forecast. Kasia? Oh boy. Yeah, you said it. It's beautiful, but it is hot. We're still at 24 degrees right now. Our daytime high was 25, and this is just the beginning. It's going to get much hotter. Of course, much of the province is under a heat warning at this point. Current temperatures for interior sections in the mid-30s at this point, and it was the first of several record-breaking days. So already 31 of the 128 weather stations 
nations have saw have seen uh, record-breaking temperatures today with Pemberton at 39 degrees in the hot spot, Lytton at 39.2 degrees. You've been hearing us call this potentially unprecedented. Yes, we've seen this kind of heat before, but we could potentially break all-time record highs, and that doesn't happen in the month of June. That's the special part. That typically happens in July, sometimes in August, with the all-time record high being in Lytton and Lillooet back in July of 1941. It was 44.4 degrees on that day. Moving forward over the next several days, look at these daytime highs. So for tomorrow, into the mid and the high 30s for interior sections yet again on your Sunday, it gets warmer, as you can see, looking at some 40-degree marks there in Abbotsford and in Kamloops. And believe it or not, it gets hotter and hotter Tuesday and Wednesday will be the peak of the heat for interior sections. So right now is the time to take care of ourselves, seek the shade, stay hydrated, and uh, avoid any physical activities on the outside because there's no real end in sight for some time. Today's Centra Windows weather window, oh, brought to us by Corey, something we all want to do, plunge into the waters from the Crescent Beach Pier. Beautiful. Yes. Good idea. Thank you very much, Kasha. Well, here's yet another sign of the heat. Some residents of Port Coquitlam, including BC's Solicitor General, surprised to see the concrete buckle on an area sidewalk. Mike Farnworth started the speculation this afternoon, tweeting about the buckled sidewalk and blaming the heat. The city has put out barricades to warn pedestrians. Concrete expands when it gets hot, and sometimes there isn't enough gap between the concrete slabs. That's when sidewalks bulge up because, well, they have nowhere else to go. <laughs> I like that. Know. It's very informative. Yeah, it's a sign of the times right now, I guess. Are All we right. going to do a story sooner or later where we try to fry an egg on a sidewalk? I've never seen that successful. I know. Successful. And I wouldn't eat that egg either if I was anybody. No. Uh, can Canada's women's soccer team get a medal at the upcoming Olympics? Coach Bev Priestman is confident feeling really good about where we can be come the Olympic Games. Canada has won a couple of bronze medals in two straight games, but this year the team's going to be a bit different. And later in Satellite Debris, life lessons from a cat. So, Kitten, here are some things that you need to know. The dog is the sort of creature that... They kind of rioted. Well, I wouldn't know if I wouldn't say it was a riot. I mean, there it was. was they they wanted to clear mischief. the streets, though. Mischief uh, in Montreal. Mischief in Montreal. Yes. If they win the Stanley Cup, though, there might be more mischief. Uh, and they are in the Stanley Cup final for the 35th time in this franchise's history. Only, I think this is one of the unlikeliest appearances for one of the NHL's. Well, the NHL most decorated franchise, I would say. They uh, had the least points out of any of the teams that started the playoffs this year. One of the great things, the two players beside me, two of the best BC players ever produced, Shea Weber of Sycamus and Anaheim Lakes, Carey Price, are getting their first shot at winning a Stanley Cup. Who will they play? Well, that's being decided tonight. It's either Tampa Bay or the New York Islanders, and whichever of those two teams wins the game tonight will have home ice advantage against the Montreal Canadiens in the final. So let's go to Tampa and see what's going on. Yes, it's always an electric atmosphere there. First period, Victor Hedman with a chance. Semyon Varlamov with the save. But in the second period, with the Islanders on the power play, they give up the shorty. Yanni Gord 
And this is the only goal that's been scored so far, 1-0 in the second between New York and Tampa. Well, the Whitecaps are going to try to end a five-game losing streak tomorrow in Seattle. That's not going to be easy. The Sounders haven't lost this year. Game time is 6 o'clock. The pregame show, which is on AM 730, will start at 5. Now, for the last little while, there have been rumors, both in North America and Europe, that the Vancouver Whitecaps have made a big offer to sign free agent midfielder Ryan Gold, who has been playing in Portugal. Now, the offer is apparently $9 million for three years. He was once nicknamed when he was younger, the Scottish Messi, which, of course, was unrealistic. The Caps are one of 30 teams interested in him, but they can't openly admit it because the transfer window doesn't open until July 7th. Yeah, we know the player very well, and uh, um, we look for a, a central midfielder, attacking midfielder that also fits to our physicality. So he fits to all of that. But uh, unfortunately, I cannot confirm something. We can only do that if things are getting to, to the final point. The final point is having a signature. And uh, as long as that is not done, we are not in a position to speak about that. When the Canadian women's soccer team heads to Tokyo, they'll be led by Christine Sinclair again. Canada, of course, has won bronze medals in the last two Olympics. Sinclair is one of four BC women on the team, but surprisingly, two of those four BC players are on the reserve squad instead of the main one. Perhaps your team that's playing to lose rather than to win. Rose to Heidema, using her A year ago, Jordan Heidemo is on the brink of becoming Canada's next female soccer star. Today, the Chilliwack native is dealing with the shock and disappointment of not making Canada's Olympic roster for Tokyo. The 20-year-old was chosen as an alternate, so she'll train and travel with the team, but her only chance to play a game would be as an injury replacement. I think for Jordan, it was personally a difficult decision for me, right, all the way through youth, taking Jordan to World Cups early, etc. But as I said, principally, I have to pick on performance and who's in form and who's performed well under my time. I picked the most dangerous forwards as of right now. But I've got absolutely no doubt in my mind that in the future, Jordan Heitman can be an unbelievable player. Another surprise omission from the main roster, 32-year-old Sophie Schmidt of Abbotsford. Schmidt is third all-time with 201 caps for Canada. She's won two Olympic bronze medals and has been a mainstay in Canada's midfield for 15 years. But it's opened the door for younger players like Burnaby's Julia Grasso. The 20-year-old will be making her Olympic debut after starring at the University of Texas the past couple of seasons. And of course, there's Christine Sinclair at 38 going to her fourth Olympics and the planet's all-time women's scoring leader. It came down to, for me, is that gut feel of... You know, who I think can go and change the colour of the medal and that's that's the team that I got to. But, you know, as you can tell, it definitely wasn't easy, which is a credit to all the players. All right, there you go. All right, thanks, Squire. Satellite Debris is coming up next. Stay with us. Talking animals. Love it. I know. I know these are your favorite. <laughs> the anthropomorphic animals. Uh, okay. So we have run kind of, well, actually we've run one of these commercials before, but this is a different one. This is another episode of Dear Kitten. Here we go. Mm. <laughs> 
Dear Kitten, You've probably noticed that there's a new thing in the house. It is called a dog. And I know this because before you, I had a best friend named Peanut. Rest in peace. At first, I assumed Peanut was just a very ugly cat. Charming in his own way, but terrible breath. Awful. So, kitten, here are some things that you need to know. The dog is the sort of creature that will decide whether it should put something in its mouth by putting it in its mouth. That's the level of decision-making that goes on. They basically eat everything. Case in point, butt paper. They even eat those weird brown dehydrated pip nuggets that the humans give us. Don't get mad. Let the dog eat all of our dry food. If it gets caught, it gets put in jail. And right then, we can enjoy the moist deliciousness of the can without interruption. It's a gambit. That is sage advice. From cats an old know. Cat to a kitten. Cats are wise. They are wise. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to dogs. <laughs> they just know. So let us now move on to um, a rather unfortunate meeting with a post. Here's an insurance commercial. This is the story of Post. Post was an aspiring entertainer, a magician to be precise. And today, Post was about to perfect its premier trick. An act of invisibility. Ta-da! said Post. When a post appears out of nowhere, it's nice to have someone on your side. AMI, on your side. Hmm. I feel like I've done something similar. <laughs> oh, yeah? Another magical <laughs> post? Yeah. All right. It's all right. No one was harmed in the process. <laughs> well, here is another commercial about parking, except this one is parking in front of horses that are quite amused by the whole thing. Did you also learn some German there? Uh, Yes, trailer assist is what I learned. Excellent. (laughs) All right, stay cool this weekend, Kasia. Oh, really? Uh, The peak of the heat will be Sunday, Monday, but yeah, keep cool out there if you can, guys. All right, be safe, everyone. Have a great weekend.